0: Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died... And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy New Year, everyone, Uh, to all the people who are are following with us online. Happy New Year to you as well. Something that we we regularly do as people during the New Year today, being January 1st, of course, is we set New Year's resolutions, right? And so uh, I want to... Lean into that a little bit today and and think about the resolutions and the things that uh, we are setting about doing. And specifically, and I'm just going to lay my cards on the table right here. I want to invite you to make a resolution to follow Jesus more closely in 2023 than you have in any year leading up to this. And here uh, is, is why I, I think that's uh, a good thing for us to do. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I think Jesus is the real deal. I think he's legit. I think he knows us. I think he is, has uh, come to be with us, to be for us, and to lead us through life, especially through 2023 as we enter into this new year. And so we have, these past few weeks, been starting a series through the book of Matthew called Follow Me. Based on Jesus' words that he repeats often throughout the book of Matthew uh, to his to disciples uh, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and and to others, uh, some who received that call to follow him and and some that rejected it. But he often called people to follow me. So we are looking into following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Right? We don't, see him here today with us in that same way that the disciples in the first century did. So what does it look like for us to follow Jesus today? I'll say it this way, that it has to do with two things, listening to his words and responding with faith. Listening to Jesus, what he has to say, and when he says something, we respond. We, we do it as he, as he calls us to do as we follow him. Now, as we're considering following Jesus, I think it's worthwhile for us to take a moment to consider who we are following in life. And, and we do this all over. We follow people, sometimes uh, unintentionally, but specifically, I'm talking about intentional following of people. We do this through podcasts, through media, right? We, we, we listen to our favorite TV shows. We listen to our favorite podcasts. We follow people on social media. And we, sometimes we follow them. Maybe we want to get advice on parenting or we want to get advice on saving for retirement or we want to get advice for whatever various life applications there are out there. But Jesus... He calls us specifically to follow him. And so we should consider, if Jesus is calling us to follow him, we should maybe consider who he is. Who are we called to follow? Because we want to make sure, before we start following someone, we're not just following someone that maybe is low character not a, not a great example, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, uh, talking about, doesn't have competency, right? We want to follow someone who we can trust and someone that knows what they're talking about, character and, and competence. And so that's what we're, we've been spending some time these past few weeks, as we looked at Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, as we, we've looked at Jesus' birth, and now as we look at the second part of Matthew chapter 2 and the flight into Egypt. So let's let's look at that today and consider who Jesus is and whether he's worth following. No surprise here. I think he is. So our so our scripture from today Jesus baby Jesus in the manger maybe not. Maybe he's like 18 months, maybe up to two years old at this point. Uh, based on what, the, what we can tell from uh, the wise men and their indications and their travels, Jesus is probably more like a toddler at this point than, than uh, an, an infant. But he's with Joseph, his adoptive earthly father, and Mary, his, his mother. And they are just finishing up, thinking about all the the good things that have happened these past few months. Right, uh, it wasn't that long ago where Joseph found out found out that Mary is pregnant. He knew it wasn't by him, and he was about to divorce her quietly, but to divorce her because he wanted to keep his his uh, integrity intact angel of the Lord came to Joseph at night, though, gave him a dream, said, Don't fear. It's okay. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Take Mary as your wife. Name the child Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means salvation, and this child will save his people from their sins. So Joseph does that. He takes Mary He fathers, adopts uh, Jesus, and he leads and protects them. Now, some months later, wise men, magi from the east come. They celebrate Jesus. They worship Jesus. They bring gifts to Jesus, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And Mary and Joseph have to be once again wondering, Wow, Who, what is this child going to do? And they know, the angels have told them, Mary has received the angel's vision from Gabriel. They know that, that this child, Jesus, is set for something special. He's set to do God's will in this world. And so they're, here they are, they're gathered together, and one night they're sleeping. And in the middle of the night... Joseph receives a dream, a dream that is a little bit alarming, right? As I think about this passage, I think that Joseph receiving this dream is a little bit like those times where it's been 2 a.m. and we're all sleeping as a family and one of the kids. Smoke detectors goes off in their room, right? And everyone wakes up, (laughs) and they're alert. And, and, oh, what's going on? And and people are confused a little bit. But but we, you know, first things first, no smoke. Is there a fire? Is this just a false alarm? We want to make sure everything's okay. Fortunately, I've never had a house catch on fire, so that's a good thing. And then let's turn off the alarm and get back to sleep. However, with Joseph, when this alarm goes off, when the angel comes to him in a dream, it wasn't a test. This is not a test, right? Joseph, wake up. You are in danger. Your wife is in danger. Your child is in danger. And you have to get out of here now because Herod is looking to kill Jesus. So what do we see? And the text tells us this: that Joseph, that night, immediately, he doesn't go back to sleep. He doesn't say, "Oh, maybe I just ate some bad hummus the day before and had a weird dream." He didn't say, "You know, I, I need to rest on this and think about it a little bit more and pray a little bit before." I move. No. He's, he realizes it's time to go. And so they get up middle of the night and they move and they go to Egypt. Obviously this is modern day picture of them moving, of them traveling as refugees to escape Herod the Great, and his evil ways. And so they, they head down, make their way to Egypt. Here's a map for those of you who like maps. Probably starting in Bethlehem. And we don't know the exact details of the exact route that they took, but this is a likely route that Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have taken From Bethlehem, you can see Bethlehem right here, over to what's known today as the Gaza Strip, right? And then down into Egypt. And they escape Herod's wrath. It wasn't a false alarm. Matthew tells us that Herod was taking preemptive steps to protect his throne from another king coming in. Herod was using a carpet bombing technique and he found out the Messiah, the king of uh, the Jews, the son of David, was to be born in Bethlehem. And so every child under the age of two based on what he learned from the wise men from the East, he had killed. And it was sad. But Jesus and his parents, they escape. They spent some time down in Egypt. We don't know exactly how long. Again, it's another detail Matthew doesn't give us, but we know this. It was at least several months because while they were down in Egypt waiting for the storm to pass. Things happen in the world. Things happen in life. And Herod the Great was an old man at the time. He dies shortly after. And then after that, Rome had to figure out, all right, who's going to rule Herod the Great's territory? And so what they ended up deciding is that three of his sons end up ruling the area that was was split up by threes uh, that Herod the Great himself ruled alone. It would have taken time for a delegation to go to Rome, for them to figure this stuff out, for them to come back, for all the things to be sorted out. So at least several months, maybe a couple years, that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were in Egypt as refugees. But they... Get word. Again, Joseph receives a a vision from an angel in a dream. Now his fourth vision in the book of Matthew that he's gotten from an angel. And and the angel tells him it's good. Coast is clear. Joseph finds out that Herod's son, Archelaus, is ruling in Judea in the area of Bethlehem. So Joseph's like, "Eh, I don't. I think I want to go there because he's not much better than his dad was. And so Joseph and family, they head up to Galilee to a town called Nazareth. Right? And that's the scripture account from today. A couple, a couple things that I want to bring out in this passage, though, is is how Matthew is regularly referencing the Old Testament throughout this story. Three times, in in, in fact, that he references the Old Testament. First, he references the Old Testament in, uh, let's see, in verse 15, where it says, this was... Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That prophet specifically was the prophet Hosea, who wrote in Hosea cha- uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now it's interesting, I think, to, to think, All right, what's the original context to Hosea? Hundreds, writing hundreds of years before this, what was he thinking about as he wrote these these words? They weren't merely about Jesus, although they ultimately were about Christ and about Jesus, but, but they initially were a reference to the nation of Israel. The entire nation of Israel was referred to as God's son. That might be a little bit odd to our ears today, but back then, was common understanding that the nation of Israel, when they were called out of Egypt that first time at the Exodus, when God worked through Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery, that they were adopted as God's son at that point. And God, from that point on, he regularly, in fact, refers to the nation collectively as God's son. But here, what, what Matthew is doing is showing us that Jesus now stands in the place of, represents the entire nation of Israel. Jesus is the nation of Israel reduced to one person. So not only does Jesus fulfill many of the Old Testament prophecies, but Jesus actually stands in the place of Israel and where Israel in the past had been called to do things and messed up a whole lot, Jesus steps in and says, I'll do it right. (laughs) And as we know, when the nation of Israel initially was called out of slavery, out of Egypt, what did they do? Oh, thank you, Lord. You're so awesome for leading us out of slavery. No, that was not their response. Their response was, Oh, do we have to go? How much longer till we get there, right? I'm hungry. Are we there yet? I don't like this food. It's not my favorite. Can we go back? At least there we could eat what we wanted. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of that on a car ride before. Matthew refers to Hosea chapter 11. Second, Matthew refers to Jeremiah chapter 31. A few verses later, in verse 18 of our text, Matthew quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, when he says, A voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rama, near Bethlehem, original context, nation of Israel was being taken away into captivity, this time, I believe it was the Babylonian captivity, and it was nasty. And people were crying because babies were being killed. Mothers were crying, understandably so, and Ramah was a place that as the people of Judea were taken over to Babylon, kind of modern day Iraq, they walked, they went through Ramah and the voice of Rachel weeping. Rachel as a, as a metaphor for all of Israel in suffering and in sorrow. Third, Matthew in verse 23 says, And Jesus went and lived, maybe he was saying, referring to Joseph. Joseph and family went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, this one's harder. This one's harder. For a couple reasons. First, because um, Matthew doesn't give a direct quote from the Old Testament, so as we're trying to figure out, well, where's where's Matthew getting this from? This idea that Jesus would be called a, a Nazarene, um, he, he, he doesn't he doesn't tell us. And in fact, the town of Nazareth never appears never makes an appearance in the Old Testament scriptures. It's just not mentioned. So that's led people to speculate, all right, where's Matthew going with this? There's a couple things. One, some think, well, maybe this means, this is a reference to the Nazarite vow that's talked about in the Old Testament where you shave hair and you don't drink alcohol, that sort of stuff. And, but I'm not sure that that's the, the right way to go because... Never in the Old Testament does it say the, the Messiah, the Christ, is to take a Nazarite vow. The other way some people try to go with this is with the understanding of the word branch. In Hebrew, the word branch is nazar. And so some think, okay, maybe Matthew is doing a play on words here and referring to Jesus as the branch of David and just kind of making a reference to that. Maybe. Uh, I'm not super convinced by that one either, though. So what does that leave us with? I think this is where Matthew was going. First of all, Matthew, it's, it's important to recognize that when Matthew says this in verse 23, he says, so that what was spoken by the prophets plural, would be fulfilled. Prophets, so he's not giving a direct quote, but he's saying throughout the prophets, this teaching is, is made about Jesus. What is that teaching that has to do with Nazareth? Well, as we look at the New Testament and we look to the, to the way people responded when they found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, I think that gives us a clue Nazareth? Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? That's what Nathaniel said when he was called. People knew back then Nazareth was a small podunk town. When Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and, and talks about how he is fulfilling the ministry, people in Nazareth even look down at him. And, Isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Who, who is this guy to be claiming that he is someone special, the Messiah even, right? When Jesus is doing healing and the Pharisees don't like it, what do they say? They, they say, don't you know that no prophet arises from Galilee, Galilee being kind of the, the region or the state that Nazareth was part of, I think when, when Matthew is, is going with this idea of Jesus being a, a Nazarene, he, he's trying to emphasize this, uh, this fact that the prophets say regularly, and that's this, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, would look to us, would look to the world like a nobody. Look weak. from a nobody town, not part of a prestigious family. Isaiah's 53 talks about this, how he would be scorned, smitten, stricken, <laughs> afflicted. Don't can't look at him and think that he's strong and powerful. I think that is exactly where Jesus or, or where Matthew is going with this quote. What we can take from this whole section in Scripture though is what I would refer to, I think, in what theological circles have referred to as the two natures of the incarnate Christ. That he's both 100% God and 100% man. Just think in our, our text. How is Jesus clearly 100% God. He's from God. Mary uh, conceives him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Angels all over the place warning Joseph, telling Joseph that, this, that it's okay who this child is, that he's the Savior. What, what else do we see? We see Matthew making moves to the Scriptures, showing how, hey, look, this is preordained by God. Jesus is someone special. Jesus is the word of God. What we just confessed in the Nicene Creed. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Right? All these things that, that, that we believe. So Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. Last night, a few of us got together at uh, Colby's Place for our New Year's Eve celebration, and we got to play games and celebrate the New Year and eat some food and have a toast, all that good stuff. But one of the things that was really special is that we got to celebrate Juniper's first birthday. Today's Juniper's birthday. Anyone? Yay! Right? And... So we had a cake, and she got to blow out the candle with the help of her mom and eat the cake, and it was awesome. Now, as we were playing, there's a whole lot of of kind of commotion happening last night. That's what happens when you get a room full of kids just running around playing games and that sort of stuff. And Juniper was always there, and I was aware of this. And so as I was walking through different areas, I was careful— where I was stepping because I didn't want to step on a baby. Just call it what it is. She's fragile. She's small. She needs protecting. She needs her mom and dad to protect her. In the same way, our Lord Jesus was a baby. He needed protection. Now, I mean, think about this. This is God of gods. This is the the one who who spoke the world into being. And at this moment, he couldn't even speak one word. He needed protection from Joseph, from from Herod and all the nasty things that he was doing. During their journeys, Joseph and Mary had to make sure that he was safe. They had to care for him, provide for him. Joseph had to... Teach Jesus? I mean, if this isn't starting to like mess with your head a little bit, like, wait, he's God, but he needed to be taught. But this, this is the mystery of the incarnation. 100% God and 100% man. And with that comes all the realities of being fragile. And you, you might say quickly, oh, well, yeah, but... But he was God, right? So, you know, obviously Matthew is showing us all the ways that God's protecting him through this. Yes, that's true. And yet, God worked through Joseph and Mary to bring that protection for Jesus. This reality, the incarnation of, of Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, is What we refer to as a paradox. There are two truths that don't seem to go together really well, but we just take it because that's what the Word of God says. Other places this plays out the Bible. Is the Bible the Word of man? or the word of God. Yes. Wait, what? Yes, right? Communion. Is that bread and wine that we just had? Or is that the body and blood of Christ? Yes. And we just take it. Take it at face value because our Lord Jesus says it. In the same way is Jesus. You see, God Or is he man? We would say, yes. Why does that matter? Because I think sometimes we so quickly default to Jesus being God that when Jesus calls us to do something, something that's hard, something like having a high sexual ethic, in standard something like loving our neighbors unconditionally even our, our enemies when Jesus says sell all that you have and then come follow me be generous we we this can sometimes shrug it off and say well Jesus didn't really mean that right I mean he knows uh, I couldn't do that and yet what what does Jesus say he says follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. See, it's not at all by our power, so we're, we're halfway right. And yet, when Jesus, when he calls us to do things, he means it. And we can trust him, and we can follow him, because he's just like us. Except without sin. He became frail. He became a baby. He became someone who couldn't speak. He became someone who needed to learn. He was despised, rejected from a nobody town, from a no one family. He was nailed on a cross. Naked, spit upon, rejected, weak. Doesn't look like a powerful king. But you know what he looks like? He looks like us if we're honest. He gets us. He knows our frailties. And and here's what Jesus did. This is the, the the beauty of the incarnation is that Jesus decides, God decides to send his son to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was with us in the trenches. Jesus was God with us so that he could be God for us. Leading, excuse me, for us, uh, doing everything that we're called to do but doing it perfectly. Doing it on our account. Even dying our death, the death we deserve on the cross, so that we can have the life that he gives. So that when Jesus calls us to follow me, we can trust him. We can trust that he's going to lead us on the path of righteousness. He came to be with us in the muck. He came to be for us in the muck. And he came to lead us out of the muck into the way of everlasting life. That's the Jesus that's calling us to follow him. That's why I think he's legit. And we need to give him a good hearing. So, as we go to follow him, We listen, and we respond. If you've got your worship handout with you, take it out. For several months now, and Jana told me beforehand that uh, she had to leave early, so this isn't her just being offended at what I've been saying, right? (laughs) Bye, Jana for several months now under the sermon notes we've had two questions on here and i haven't drawn much attention to them let's do that now the two two things that i want you to be able to answer after a sermon and just after reading scripture and after life following jesus what good news is god saying to you today jesus he comes to speak life and forgiveness and salvation into our lives? What good news are you hearing now at this moment? And in response, how are you going to follow Jesus today? Two questions. We're going to take a year to think about these things. We're going to be focusing on discipleship, In 2023, as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to be focusing on what it means to follow Jesus and what an example we have today in our text of Joseph. Joseph, someone who, by earthly accounts, was a nobody. Yet God spoke to him, and he followed No, Joseph. From an earthly perspective, we can say no, Jesus. Yet Joseph was protecting Jesus so that Jesus could grow up, so that Jesus could teach and be the Messiah and the Savior that we so desperately need. May we this year resolve to be like Joseph to hear the word of God, and to respond in faith. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.